I'm leaving on a jet plane Don't know when I'll be back again Oh baby Just trust me, okay? This is Michael and we are back with the third installment in the Deborah Jackson story. So hello, Deborah. Hello. So where we left off was basically you had tormented your aunt for all of a week (laughs) and you were not giving any fucks and you just were like, take me to my, my dope man's. She brought you down and it was not suitable because now you had the dogs and you had them this whole time, time, but now it was, um, you can't bring those here. So you called your son. So when you called your son, what did he say? He, he, at that point, he just said, I'm on my way. You know, I think I was probably crying and I have nowhere to go. And, you know, it was, I really didn't want to call him. It's my kid. Right. You know, um, and he came and he got me. And I was pretty incoherent at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he got me a hotel room. Okay. Um, and I explained to him. Um, was he aware of the severity or no? I don't think he was aware of the severity. Okay. I mean, he always knew I had issues. He always knew that. He just didn't necessarily know um, what. I don't think I don't think he knew that I was a heroin addict at that point. Okay. Um, and so it, it, by then, for at least the last week or so, I'm, I'm drinking alcohol to keep from, you know, and, and believe me, it doesn't, doesn't stop the withdrawal. But, you know, hopefully you just pass out. Um, right. So he, he, he puts me in a hotel room. Okay. And um, he's like, um, I'm going to help you. And I said, uh, well, you know, first off, you know, because always priorities for me, I'm going to need some alcohol. Right. Number you one. Yeah, I need some. He's like, first, well, me, me, me. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because um, I knew from previous times being in, re- in like a rehab and that um, I went like the first day to go get my meds and alcohol withdrawal and I just totally fell out and started having seizures. Right. So, you know, for people that don't know, alcohol withdrawal, cold turkey is deadly. Yes. It really is deadly. It's one of the few drugs that can, the withdrawal will actually kill you. Alcohol. Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, so, you know, he got me some some alcohol and he got me some food and he's like, I'm going to find somewhere to take you. Okay. And so when he, he was saying somewhere to take you, not somewhere to live, but somewhere to get you help. Yes. For rehab. Did you know that? Yes. Okay. So he was totally, you were like, fine, whatever. Yeah, I just whatever. need to go somewhere. Yeah. Just, I'm not going to do anything to help or anything. Just whatever. Fix me. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so he did. And I think for like two days he stayed on the phone and, um, he got me into Maryview. Okay. So Maryview is where? Is in Portsmouth. Okay. Um, and I was at a hotel in Portsmouth, and he lives in Portsmouth. Okay. Um, uh, they actually have a very good um, detox there. So this is 2013. Area. You're going into Maryview. Yeah. So you have to go into the emergency room. So he takes me into the emergency room, and they won't give me anything because my blood alcohol is too high. Right. Um, and um, he... And I refused to go, um, it, so the dogs were an issue. Mm-hmm. And I, I um, before we even left, and I was sitting in the field with my plastic dresser and all my things, and we were talking, I said, um, I will not go into rehab if my dogs have to go to the pound. I will not do it. I will go in the woods and live with my dogs. Okay. 
like you know i figured you know wasn't stopping to think where the dogs have really had it rough that is not a step <laughs> right right you know? right um and sometimes you know those dogs um kept me alive in a lot of ways they were something to to have to take care to of come home to something to take care of something to well and in those moments when you said you were kind of on the verge of suicidal thoughts that you didn't want someone to find you or you didn't want it to be like steve's fault you also had dogs to think about well that and that's really funny you should say that so we're i'm in that hotel and um he uh, my son left me with some alcohol till he could work it out and um i'm like i'm just done you know, I'm done. Mm-hmm. So I have, it's me and the dogs in the room. And, you know, my aunt helped pay for the room. And I paid the extra so I could have the dogs. Mm-hmm. And I am, um, I'm in that, I'm in that room. And um, I'm pretty good and drunk at this point. And I'm like, you know, I just, I can't, I can't do this. I, I just don't want to do it. I cannot do it anymore. And I don't really talk about this very often. Okay. So I, I, I took the dog leash and I put it on the closet door, and I tied it around my neck, mm-hmm. and I made it so that it was tight and it was cutting off my air. Um, and I was actually hopeful that I was really, I was hanging in there, right? I was doing really good. I could feel it getting, you know, it was getting more lightheaded. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the dogs just would not leave me alone. They kept licking me. They kept jumping on me. They kept, you know. They knew something was wrong. They were, yeah, they were just, and finally at the last minute, so finally, at the last minute, I just took it off. Um, and uh, so I made it through that night. And uh, my son took me the next day to the emergency room in Maryview. Wow. And um, he he said, I'm going to take the dogs. I'm going to take good care of them. Um, he had his friend with him. And he said, he's going to come by when I'm at work and all. We've got all worked out. We're going to take care of them. And uh, he looked right at me, and I knew he meant it. And he said, I'm going to tell you something, Mom. If you get up out of this bed and leave this hospital, don't call me. He said, this is your one shot. Wow. And I knew he meant it. I was going to say, you, that was definitely something you needed to hear. I did need to hear it. And I did need, you know, even my aunt is still um, still so much a part of my life. She's the only mother I've ever known. And should we talk about that now. When she, when she kicked me out of my childhood home... And she drove me all the way back here and left me. That was the hardest thing she says she's ever done. And I always tell her, that was the best thing you could have ever done for me. You were the last person. You were the only person who was, you know. Yeah. And when you were done, I knew it was just. That you had to be done. That I had to be done. And then on top of that, then your son. Whichever whichever way I exited it, you know. Um, And. The, you know, the day he took me to the hospital. So at this point, you know, I've got, uh, my neck is like really bruised and I'm bruised like all the way up around my jawline. Um, oh, because of? Because of the dog leash. Um, yeah. And I can remember um, thinking, you know, I feel like I've, I've made a choice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I chose not to, I, I have to do this. I just have to absolutely do this i have a shot here that mm-hmm. i really honestly believed i would never get again right right i really did not i thought if, if i'm gonna live then i'm gonna choose this this route and i am going to do everything i can to make this work this time right um and i didn't get up and leave and um i was there for a few days and they transferred me over to um 
what is now called Pathways. Yep. Uh, and the whole time that I was there. Down here in Virginia Beach. Right here in Virginia Beach. The whole time. And I didn't know anything about Virginia Beach. I never came to Virginia Beach. So you were transferred from Maryview mm-hmm. to Pathways. Yeah. To out process? To for a detox only. Okay. Um, so I was only in um, Pathways for eight days. How long were you in Maryview? Three days. So you were in the ER, then to Maryview, yeah. then to Pathways. Yeah. And then what ended up happening? So, so you, you know, we're talking about 22 years of heroin addiction, heroin addiction mm-hmm. uh, along with another, you know, 12 years or so, 15 years of alcohol addiction. Mm-hmm. And only, you know, 11 days of detox. Yeah. Um, my son, in the meantime, um, someone at Pathways told me about um, sober living. Yep. And um, I told my son about it. And he would call every day to this, this one place, this one house. Mm-hmm. And he would call every day. And he started talking to one of the ladies in the mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's kind of a, he's, he's, um, he's pretty charming, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so I had an interview set up, you know, to, to go there and, and interview. To a sober living house. To a sober living house that Pathways would take me over there. I would do the interview and I would go back. Um, and so it came that day and, um, cause this is what, 2014 at this point. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then right before we get into the interview process and sober living, what I wanted to, for those, cause like you said, you just brought up a very valid point. You said 11 days of detox to remedy 37 years of addiction. Yes. So what I think a lot of people don't think about too, is what do they do while you're in there? And I know it's interesting. I actually didn't know until this moment that you were in Pathways. Mm-hmm. And I know when I was in Pathways, because it's supposed to be very short term, mm-hmm. they're just to get you stable and get you out. Right. And they have all these different things that are going on there. What did a day look like for you while you were in there? And were you making the most of it? I, I you know, that's, that's really, you, you just like right on point with some of these questions. So I went... When I got there, they immediately put me on some detox meds that made me feel better. Okay. Okay. And um, so I, like I said, I had just had this this determination that I have to do this. I, you know, it's do or die, literally. You know, like this is do or die. And I will tell you that uh, even on the days when I felt bad, I was up. I was showered. I participated in every group. I yep. was honest. I was present. I was involved. Because you actually knew, like, I have got to start showing up for my life. I did. Yep. I did. And so you maximized your time there. Yeah, absolutely. So how quickly would you say, because I remember in my experience what I felt like in my head, and it finally clicked with me pretty, pretty quickly, that it was like, oh, God, I'm literally where I'm supposed to be because I am with... I guess my people. I didn't know what that looked like at that time, but it's like, yeah, these are these are other versions of me. Right. So, how quickly did it resonate with you that, yep, I'm supposed to be here, and this is where the healing is going to start? Um, I don't know that I felt like I was with my people because it was almost because I had I was not under the influence. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was on detox meds, but it was not the same as being, and there was like a lot of people in there and. I, I almost reverted back to that feeling that I had when I was a kid. And okay. I felt really... Awkward. Awkward. And I felt really different. Okay. And, and so, but I will say that there were um, 
there were people and bless these people who work in these detoxes. Yes. And because, you know, they can make a lot more money somewhere else. Absolutely. When you do that work, you do it because you love the work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had some counselors and some people there that were just um, so caring. Yep. Um, and I needed that so badly, you know. Um, I had not been cared for in a long time. Well, and you hadn't cared for yourself in a long no. time. No. And I remember that at, like after four days, I had kind of got up that morning and I was feeling a little better and I had put, maybe put on some makeup or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe brushed my hair for yep. the first time. I don't know. Yeah. But one of the, um, the one of the um, uh, clinicians there said, well, and, and we were in group and she's like, and look at Deborah. She's up today and she's looking good and she's looking so much better. And that was like, wow, like someone noticed maybe I'm starting to look like a person, like a person, yep. you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I have to say that that I'll always love that place. Um, yep. I think that like most things, you you get out what you put in. Yeah. Um, I will tell you that it was very strange that you know I felt like I was you know really doing well. I was involved in my classes, but afterwards when I saw some of the people who I was in detox with, um, uh, that I didn't remember them, and um, I wasn't doing as good as I thought. I was. Do you right. know what I mean? Yeah. My, my memory was not, yep. you know. The pieces weren't all together. They weren't all together. I really thought I was just like rocking it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, it was no, it was, yeah. Um, it was a long process for me. So more to what you were talking about right before that was your son had started looking into sober living for you while in tandem Pathways, I'm assuming, is starting to, well, what is now Pathways at that time was starting to talk to you about sober living because they pretty quickly, I know what kind of was jarring to me and it gave me extreme anxiety was, okay, I already don't have anywhere to go and I know I'm already only going to be here for like two seconds and now you guys are starting to talk to me about where I'm going. It's freaking me out. Did you start to feel like you had anxiety about what was going to happen next? I did. I really did. And then... I was really putting all my eggs in a basket to get into this, you know, sober living. And they came to me and they said, you know, because of just the understaffing and all, we don't have transportation for you. That you, we can't take you there. Okay. And um, I felt like it was, I, I think that I was allowed to do a phone interview, but I really, something, I just felt like I needed to be there. I needed, okay. they, I needed to talk to them, you know, mm-hmm. and... And not in like a manipulative way, but I needed, I just felt like that it needed to be a thing where you look at people and you, you know. So you can vibe. So you, yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. So chemistry is like huge and, you know, um, and so the alternative, and so I, I, I called my son and he's like, well, I'll come and get you and take you. And I'm like, ah, oh, it's solved. Everything's fine now. And they were like, no. No, if he comes and gets you and takes you, you can't come back. Right, exactly. And I'm like, well, how stupid is that? <laughs> right. what, the, what the hell is wrong with you people? Right. And she's like, no, because you're our responsibility. Yeah, and you they know? don't know what he's going to do or not do. Right, and you can't be a patient and under our care unless you were under our you know, supervision. I'm like, well, that's why we're here now because you all can't get me there. Right. So she said, I'm just telling you that. And I was like, pretty much, I might have got another day or two out of them, but that was going to be it. Right. Um, I, you know, if you go, you can't come back. Right. 
And um, I think I just wanted this so badly. And my son was also leaving town that night and headed to West Virginia. Okay. So if they did not accept me, what would have happened was I would have been in a hotel room. Wow. Okay. Yeah, which probably... So he came and picked you up and took you to interview at a house mm-hmm. that you knew nothing about. Right. All to risk that you might not even get in. Right. And what ended up happening? They accepted me and I moved in like immediately. Like that night? Yeah, he was leaving town. Mm-hmm. You know, I moved in. I think I moved in, you know, because I remember we went up to the Dollar Tree mm-hmm. to get shampoos and stuff like that. And I moved in with a bag from the Dollar Tree and like... Maybe three outfits from the um, clothes closet at Portsmouth uh, Maryview Hospital. So you went in there, you had nothing? Nothing. And he paid, I assume, for you to get in? He did. He did. And what was the name of the sober living house that you went to? Pembroke Oxford House. So you were in an Oxford house. What did? What were your initial thoughts when you went and interviewed? Did you get scared? Were you nervous? Um, I... I I wasn't scared walking in, but I don't know. That's just from, I think once, Michael, I made that decision that I wanted to live and not die, I seemed to feel like I was trusting myself. I was trusting what I thought I needed to do. Yep. And for whatever reason about this house, I just knew that that was the place for me. And um, they were tough. They were asking me a lot of questions. And the problem was, is that, you know, well, when did you... When was your last drink? And when was your... And honestly, my brain was not in any kind of shape. Right. To recall dates and times. And I mean, I really couldn't recall what year something happened. Right. Um, It was... My my brain was just in such bad shape. Well, and not only that, you're you're only, what, like 12 days sober in that moment? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you probably felt like it looked like you were hiding stuff, but they clearly had seen this before. Right. And, And, you know, are you married? Yes, I'm married. Oh, where's your husband? He's in jail. Oh, husband's in jail. Okay, when's he get out? Right, you know, right. Everything was, you know. Um, and, you know, and it's still the same. Pepper ladies are pretty, you know, we're a little tough. We, we want the truth, right? Right. We gotta, we're just, you know, we want to know. Um, and I barely got in, you know, because okay. you need 80% of the vote. Right. Um, it, it was not a unanimous decision by any so, because someone was nice enough to let me know that later. Right. Uh, which is a terrible thing to do. Right, right. Um, because actually one of the people that didn't vote me and actually went on to become my sponsor. So, you know, who knows? Um, right. But so, yeah, I was accepted there and then um, it was still a long road from there. Okay. So, how long after you got in was your husband going to be getting out? Um, he was still he still had another year to do um, in in prison while I was when I went into Oxford House. So when you got in there, did you have a sense that because I know for me when I was going into that mentality of like okay, so I'm going into sober living, clearly that's what I need. I was thinking foolishly that I'm like okay, so six months and then I'm going to be out. Yeah. Were you thinking anything along those lines, or you were like, you know what, I'm good with staying here for a little bit because I have to wait for him anyway. And, and and also by that time we are speaking again, we're corresponding. You know, he's sending me letters of encouragement into the uh, detox. I would, I would think all my letters from him came after I had already left, but I went back and got them. Right. But um, I, you know, I didn't. I didn't think I understood enough about it mm-hmm. to to know to make a plan. But I did know that I was counting the days until he got out of jail. Gotcha. 
Well, we are going to go ahead and take a break, and we will have more when we come right back. I used to do a little by the little one, and doing some a little guy far and far walk. I just keep trying to get a little better, said a little better than before. I used to do a little by the little one, and doing some a little guy far and far walk. I just keep trying to get a little better, said a little better than before. Welcome back. So we were talking about how now this is the chapter where the game really got changed. Yeah. You moved into sober living. And now you're at Pembroke House in Oxford. And so officially going into this this last part, when is the last time as of today that you had a drink or a drug in your system? Um, August 17th, 2014. Congratulations. And you're coming up on year... And that is because you also not only had family, a.k.a. your son, and your aunt. Your aunt helped you reach that bottom that none of us should ever be robbed of. Right. And then your son basically reinforced that and told you, this is it. Yeah. So with that in mind, now here you are, and you've been in there. What did your first few years in um, sober living look like for you? Um, I'm going to tell you, it was hard. It was really, and the, the first year was really hard. I, um, I was sick for a long time. Mm-hmm. I had, um, I think they called it post-acute withdrawal. Okay. Um, and I was sick for a really long time and it, and it would get discouraging that, you know, here I am, I've, I've made it this far and now I'm 30 days, you know, in 60 days and how come I don't feel better? Mm-hmm. You know, why am I still physically? Yeah, and know, I think Ill? a lot of people don't realize too. You know, drinking um, recovery time, as far as what your body goes through, versus drug withdrawal recovery time, it's a very different situation. And I think mine was so much. You know, the alcohol really came back in at the end. Mm-hmm. And I really think that it was the heroin withdrawal that was so. You know, I had been uh, masking. So many emotions and uh, physical pain because, you know, I worked really hard and I worked jobs that were uh, physically demanding. Right. You know, and, um, you know, and and heroin has a great um, way of covering up any kind of physical pain. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty shocked <laughs> how messed up I was. Right. I mean, a lot <laughs> of times we don't really realize we the don't. severity really of where we have put ourselves. Right. And, you know, um, I don't know about you, but do you find that for the first, because now that you're coming up on year seven, you every year that goes by, don't you feel like, okay, I think I'm finally at the end of like really realizing how severe it was that there's still nuances that from really realizing exactly how deep you had gotten into this? Because, I mean, you're recovering now from 37 years of active addiction yeah. and abuse. Right. So I'm sure, I mean, still now, do you feel like all you're like fully done or do you feel like you're still going through and having nuances about what exactly had happened to your um, body? That is, I, I, I think that I do still go through nuances and I think that, um, you know, you will hear uh, professionals tell you that it takes a year for your brain to heal. And I believe it takes much longer than that. Okay. Um, I, I, you know, I, 
I don't know. It's really hard. There's so many different aspects to it, physically, spiritually. You know, there are so many ways, you know, that it that it creeps up in your life. Right. Right. So, you know, so at first it was like really super hard. Okay. Um, And I was, um, I had zero um, self-confidence. Okay. I was pretty much um, unhirable at that point. Mm -hmm. I had... um, so I had no transportation. Right. Um, but thank God that there was a girl in our house who kind of took me under her wing. Mm-hmm. And she ran a, um, a um, she did a new construction cleanup. Okay. And she let me work for her. And I, I mean, I worked hard. Everybody knows I can do that. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so, um, and she, she gave me a job and she gave me clothes to wear and she fed me when I needed to be fed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still wasn't like um, very independent, and I had, you know, my—I'll tell you—it's it's kind of embarrassing. And a lot of people have this problem, and I really relate to them. And one day, I would love to start some kind of um, charity or scholarship. But um, I, my teeth were so bad mm-hmm. when I um, came to um, Pembroke and out of, you know. Uh, treatment and all that um it really in my mind it made me unhirable right um well you were super insecure about it as well i was so insecure about it and you know people would tell me you can't really you know, notice but i had gotten this habit of like always having my hand over yep. my face yeah you know um and so but i did find a job and i got a job at subway okay um and they hired me and i just could not have been more grateful okay and i would walk uh, I would walk to the bus stop. I would ride the bus up and down Virginia Beach Boulevard. I worked at two of them, and then I worked at three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and things just really started um, started going better. And I and I just kept my head down, and I worked for a while, and I and I stayed clean, and I went to meetings. That's what I was going to say. So in tandem with going into sober living and fresh out of going through like mental stabilization and mm-hmm. kind of getting your mm-hmm. body back in check and everything leveled out. You know, it was important that you found your way to recover. But I think it's also important to note that everyone's way of recovering slash overcoming an addiction is not the same. And for you, you were able to find the solution in a 12-step program. But that's not always the same for everybody. You know, and I and, and that is true. That was that's my story. Right. Uh, but I am a great supporter and I believe that there are multiple paths to recovery um, and that, you know, my way worked for me. Correct. And um, I, I there, it doesn't work for everybody or some different things work for different people, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there there are there are there are multiple, and I respect them. Look, if it works for you, then I'm a fan. Right. You know, like uh, Steve and I, our recovery is very different, mm-hmm. um, and he's still clean after all these years, which is fabulous. So who am I to tell him his way because it's not my way? It's no good. Just like anyone else. Right? Yes. So, yeah, I am I am just such a... And, and I also firmly believe and, and try to, to practice this because I am around a lot of people new in recovery that everybody gets there in their time. Yep. You know, some people come into recovery uh, with a car and with a willingness and, mm-hmm. you know, different things. They have um, energy. They have, you know, they're ready. And then other people... 
it takes them a long time and it can take people a year. It can take some people two years. It can take people multiple times in and out. It can, but even when they're still clean and not using, right? the other parts that come with that, the honesty, the open-mindedness, the willingness, um, come when they come. Right. Right. And and we really can't, you know, I don't expect anybody to recover on my timeline. Right. Because it's not the same for everyone. I think what's important to note, too, is that what we talked about prior to this conversation was that, you know, some people come in and they get it right away and they stay. Others, they come in, they kind of test it out and then they go. But relapse does not have to be a part of everyone's story. It's, I, honestly, I just think that that's important to say because... Um, you know, I, although it is a part of a lot of people's story. Right. And I will say that this time I did not relapse once I got clean this time, but I relapsed many, many, many times before. And that's what I wanted to say, too, was that you had talked about this uh, for a moment. You touched on, you know, well, when I had done the this uh, 12-step program over here and when I had done this. So there was other times where you, quote unquote, tried but it was just that this was the time that you came in swinging and you were actually at a point where you had to do this. Your life was depending on it. I did have to do it, but I also had the support of seven women that were living with me. Right. That, you know, attraction over promotion, right? It was right. working for them. Right. And, um, you know, they were there to support me and they would go to meetings and take me. Now, was it as smooth of a transition for your husband when he came out of being locked up to go right on in and go into recovery mode? Or was he coming out fast and ready to go back to what he had done before? Well, I don't know if he was wanted to go back to um, using, but I do know that. So I'm living in Oxford House and I have been there about a year. Okay. And so it's time for him to get out. Right. Um, and so his plan is, and he's very excited. Hey, babe, I found someone where we can live in Portsmouth. Mm-hmm. So he's looking at his plan is, is as soon as he gets out of jail, I'm leaving where I'm at and I'm coming with him. I'm going back to Portsmouth. <laughs> right. Which right. is like where we, you know, where our lives fell apart. Your stomping grounds. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I, you know, I know all the wrong people there. Um, and so I, you know, that was like a big, um, that was a watershed moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe the first time I realized how important my recovery is to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told him that, um, and it was really hard to say that um, I couldn't do that because honestly, um, I don't know if you are going to come out and go back to using. And as much as I love you, and as much as I will always love you, as much as I will always be there for you, I will not use with you. And what did that look like in that moment for him? Um, I think that part of it was I have no intention of using. Right, right. right. And, and then it was like, you know, we've always had really good conversations. And I, I really start saying, you know, it, when you do come out, let's give you something to, um, some structure, some, some kind of, you know. And I, and I started talking to him about Oxford House. Okay. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, come out, do this. I can't tell you. I, I just, it's helped me so much. Mm-hmm. You know, come out and do this. And then, you know, once we've got that and we know things are good, um, then we'll move forward. Right. Right. Um, and so he, he did agree to that. And uh, so he did. He moved into, and, and I found a house that is 
I think it's three blocks away from the one Which I live in. Which is insane, isn't it? Was it was awesome because we went, we walked to each other's houses, you know? Um, and he, he hated it. If I could tell you how much he hated it. Okay. You know, he just really, he just didn't like it at all. Okay. But he stuck it out. And continues to. And he, now I can't get him out. <laughs> right. First off, I couldn't get him in. Now you can't get him out. Now I can't get him out. So what I think is fantastic to note, too, is um, sometimes what ends up happening, I believe, when we realize that we were living a life without purpose, and then we get ourselves together, we start to get back into the business of living, mm-hmm. we then start to realize maybe... I have a bigger purpose Mm -hmm. and it's to spread a message in a different way. And what I think is fantastic about that was, you know, when I met you, you had been in, I think for four years at that point. Right. And so at at that point you were just about to be approached with an opportunity and the opportunity to not just live in Oxford, which you are so passionate about, but to now work for them. And what did that look like for you? Because you had been at Subway, you were in management there, right. you were, you'd been thriving there and all of that. Did it make you nervous to think that they were now going to approach you about this as a job, as opposed to just living there and contributing and thinking about moving on? Oh yeah. And it, you know, it had come up, um, it had come up before, but I didn't want to leave this area. Okay. Um, I love Virginia Beach. Right. You And you had never been here before, you I said. No, I, I lived in Portsmouth. Y'all came to us. We didn't come over here. <laughs> right. Y'all bring us your money in a minute. Yep. Um, but, um, I, I was not willing to relocate. There is nothing in me that is a gypsy. Right. I am a homebody. I am a, um, you know, that is just who I am. I'm a person that likes to put down roots. Right. Um, I am not a person who, uh, you know, just on a, on a whim, oh, I'm just going to go out. Go to San Francisco and see what they're doing out there. And it's just not who I am. Okay. Um, so, but it did come. And, and, and during that time, I had become really involved. Uh, really involved in my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, really involved in uh, the history of Oxford House and how it runs. But mostly involved in, in, in taking a real interest in the, the women who moved into the house. Who I saw, and I saw myself. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I... I knew I had something to offer them, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that became just a real passion. And I then I started, you know, I was like went up to, you know, a higher, you know, a higher service position where I was like the housing service committee chairperson. I was the treasurer. I was the vice chair. Right, right. So when they did approach me about the job, my first thought was, okay, I, there's probably nothing left I can do for free. So, <laughs> right. You know, Time to get paid. Might just pay me now. But I, I cannot tell you how close I came to turning down that job. Really? So close. So what was going through your mind when you thought about turning it down? What were you going to do? Um, well, I mean, I was happy with my job at Subway. Okay. Right? And, I, and I always had this great gratitude for them because when no one else would hire me, they did. They did. They did. And I always felt um, uh, so grateful to them for that. And, and they always treated me so well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, this job requires a lot of admin skills, right? which I don't have. Okay. You know, I didn't know how to text when I moved into Oxford House. Uh, right. I literally did not. Okay. This is how challenged that, that I was, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I took typing in high school. Right. In 1977. <laughs> right. There was like one electric typewriter 
in the room. And right. We learned on a manual. You right. Know? You know, I mean, it's we didn't, I didn't grow up with a cell totally phone. Totally different time. I didn't grow up with a cell phone. Right. You know, um, so it these weren't things that were in my life that, you know, you know, kids did everything they pick up is, you know, they, it's just part of your life. Yep. But anyway, so I thought, you know, I can't, I can't do that. I'm not going to be able to keep up. I won't keep up. And not only that, it's very embarrassing to, um, to say that. Right. And it's kind of stereotypical because, you know, I'm older and of course I don't know what I'm doing. You know? <laughs> but I did, um, I did every other aspect of that job I thought I could do. Right. Right. I thought that I had enough passion for the organization. I felt like I, 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 I felt like that was my purpose. It, it, I knew it was my purpose. Well, and that's what I'm saying. I think it's great because it's like all of a sudden your purpose was revealed to you. It absolutely was, and I I remember really kind of mulling over this, and um, and of course there was a lot of fear involved. Absolutely. Um, and um, like I said earlier, you know, I'm not, I you know, I I'm guilty of liking a simple life. Mm-hmm. I really am. I don't, you know, look, I'm not the girl that you jump out of an airplane with. Okay? <laughs> right. Right? It's just not who I am. You're not the bully. You're the bully's assistant. All <laughs> right. right. <laughs> right. Um, but I, you know, and I thought about it and, and I think the final thing that I thought is I will never get this chance again. Nope. It's what I want to do. It's what I love to do. And it's in the region that I want to do it in. Fantastic. And I said, you know, I, what the hell? Right. I'll go interview and they probably won't hire me anyway. And then? And then Paul came down here and he interviewed me. And um, Shout said, out to Paul. Hey, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, of course, Kevin was with me. Mm-hmm. And Kevin McCormick, who had this job before I did. Fantastic. A mentor to me and mm-hmm. um, helped me, you know, so much. And other people helped me along the way. Yep. You know, um, but I interviewed and, and he said right then, you know, this is going to be something you work, you're going to have to work on, you know. And, and boy, have I worked on it. Mm-hmm. You know, because I know that that is my Achilles heel. And so I I actually, it may take me longer to do things than some other people, but I can guarantee you my stuff's turned in first. And you'll be there. And I'll be there. Yep. And so I've really grown a lot um, in that aspect of my job. But it, I found out, look, it's half real estate. I found out I, I knew how to find houses and, yeah. <laughs> and, and talk to real estate agents. And, you know, I mean, yep. it's, it's really been, it's been just. You Very know, empowering. It's, it's, it's just a great experience. And I really, um, I like when people um, get behind what we do. And, and, you know, so many people, if it's, if it's not, it, it's, it's people, it's very hard to find someone nowadays that doesn't have a family member or someone they love or somebody who who really gets um, recovery yep. and, and, and some of the things that are out there for them. And I love to help people. I love to help people in reentry. I love to help people come out of jail. You know, and sometimes it's not always um, for Oxford House. No. You know, sometimes, you know, I have other, you know, I have other places to send them or I have other recommendations to make or I can yep. pass along a contact to them or, yep. you know, whatever that looks like. Yep. You just have to, the person has to be ready for the actual help. And if they're not, it will show itself. I think one of the truest things that I learned from you early on was when I would be concerned about something, you're like, just stop. It will come out on its own and it will take care of itself. Most things do. Yes, they do. And someone told me once, and I've never forgotten this advice, is that when you don't know what to do, just take out your hands out of it and do nothing. (laughs) Right? Right. So I think one of the best um, attributes about you is your calm 
even keeled demeanor. Mm. You're always very level-headed. Because I'm not drunk. And it's because you're not drunk and you're not high. And I think it's incredible that you're able to go through this journey now and you have a new set of tools to use at the ready. And I think it's so important. And I think it's great that you found that in sobriety. So the only thing I would like to ask then would be, what would you say to somebody that is in the later years of their life, whether that looks like 40s, 50s, whatnot, and they're thinking, well, I've already gone this far. Why, what the hell do I need to get clean for? Mm-hmm. You know, what else is there left? What is the suggestion as to why mm-hmm. it's not ever too late to go ahead and reassess and get back to the business of living? That's, that's really funny you should ask that question because if I have any, if you know, if I can only make one statement of really to sum up, what the last like seven years have been like for me, that statement is it's never too late. Mm-hmm. It is never too late, right? There is never too much, too many years or too much wreckage or too much damage or too much debt or too much anything. But for anybody who is, you know, it's funny because I, I used to think, you know, I can understand how people my age can actually get clean. Mm-hmm. But what I don't get is how someone who's like 20 years old. Right. How in the world? I have so much respect for right? your kids, kids, you know. Not kids, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, who, who, who who actually get clean and stay clean. And, you know, I was talking to um, a young lady about that. And she said, really? She said, because I think it's just so awesome when someone older gets clean. Because, <laughs> because they're just stuck in their ways. Right. But, you know, it's not. So, really, it's never it's never too late. And, um, you know, it's not easy to, you know, do I wish I had gotten clean before I was 53? Oh, hell yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah. But I can't. That's not my story. Right. And I don't dwell there and I don't live there. And I think it's so important. I love that you keep referencing it just like that. That's that's not my story. And I think one of the biggest things that a lot of people aren't aware of is that it's not uncommon to come into any sort of recovery life, whether it's in a room, whether it's with a doctor, whether it's just, you know, living in sober living, that it's always common to sit there and compare, compare, compare. And then it becomes toxic when you start comparing yourself out. You have to remember that we, you know, none of us are perfect. And I think it's the most important part is to remember we're all in this together. You're not alone. One of the things we just talked about on another episode was about finding your tribe. How important Mm -hmm. was it for you to find your tribe to help you thrive? As important as anything else. I, you know, if it weren't for the women in my life, I don't, I wouldn't be here. I just wouldn't. You know, they... They they showed me how to live by example, mm-hmm. right? They, you know, I can remember. So the first time um, when I first got um, out of detox and I went to a meeting and someone walked up to me and they hugged me, mm-hmm. I cried. And, you know, I realized then that it had probably been more than seven years since anybody hugged me. Wow. I had not been hugged or touched or in that amount of time. Mm-hmm. Right, and there were always women there that were would come up to me when I didn't have the guts to go up to them. Guess what? They came up to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, there's just something about the sisterhood mm-hmm. um, that um, that I needed that still to this day. Um, and I have the kind of friends that, um, and I'm the kind of friends. I don't have any requirements on my friends. Mm-hmm. I really don't. 
if you don't call me for a week, I'm not going to call you and say, well, since you don't think you have time for me. <laughs> right. You know. I'm keeping score. Right. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't do that. Um, but I think that I have some of the most amazing women in my life. The thing I will say about that, t- too, is... A woman, I'm gonna be 60 in June. Whoop! Um, yeah, isn't that, isn't that great? Yeah. I never thought I'd live that long. Right. But I have friends who are, I have really good close friends who are 23, 24 years old. Mm-hmm. Right. And I have friends who are older than me. Mm-hmm. I have friends that are, you know, and and there is nothing that makes my life fuller mm-hmm. than to have friends of different ages, different. Uh, they come from different backgrounds. They come from different, um, how they do their recovery. They, you know, they come from different socioeconomic circles. You know, it doesn't really matter. It's that, it's just that variety and that, you know, we all, everybody has something. We're all teachers and we're all students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the best things that I ever heard from someone else, and it was also how I knew that she had probably been in the rooms before, was that she said something to me and she goes, just remember you've always got to remain teachable. Yeah. And when she said it, I remember thinking, what a great thing. Wait a minute. <laughs> are you speaking? <laughs> so are you speaking 12 steps to me? And um, yeah, I think it's great to remember that we always must remain teachable because we will never reach that point in time where we know everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so glad that I want you to always remember no matter what, no matter what happens, you can always just trust me. Okay. Have a good night. Thanks. Thanks.